Welcome to the Foolish Adventure Show, where guru hype is banned, lifetime value of a customer is king, and the internet business has replaced the J-O-B as the path to financial success and personal freedom. Now, here's straight talk about making a living online with your host, Tim Conley. Welcome to the Foolish Adventure Show. I'm your host, Tim Conley, and I am here going to talk about one of the things that people really hate talking about. They hate doing this. Uh, it's, it's something that instills fear into the hearts of strong men. This is something that I, I've done in the past, and I'll admit that I hate it. I, I've, I've been afraid of doing it. There's just so much resistance in doing it, but it can be, if done properly, very effective. So I've got a special guest on here. His name's Robert Graham. He was referred to me by Rob Walling of Startups for the Rest of Us as one bright dude that I should really talk to. So, so what's up, Robert? Not too much, Tim. How are you doing? I am doing. I'm doing pretty good. So, so what what we're going to talk about today is cold calling. Man, man, uh, I just even saying it gives me shivers. You know, it's even got cold in the name of it, right? So, so Rob, can you uh, give us a little background about what got you to write an ebook on cold calling? Yeah, so I think I, I got started in trying to make my own products around 2009, uh, and in the course of trying to market them, I decided that cold calling was a good way to reach that particular audience. Uh, and to, to talk about the audience a little bit, it was people in wildlife management, um, people that own property, people that uh, were trying to manage property that other people owned. And uh, some of those people were hunters. Uh, some of them were actually just trying to get a break on taxes. You can get a like a nine-tenths tax deduction for doing uh, agricultural exemptions. And one of the things you can do is wildlife management. So I was trying to get in touch with these people and I did trade shows, I did stuff online and I had a lot of trouble connecting to the market. And so I, I wanted to sort of prove something to myself and, and exhaust my options. And so I decided to try cold calling. And I think after I had some phone numbers to call, it took me a week or two to actually make a phone call. But uh, it, <laughs> eventually, eventually I did. I think my first phone call I got just you know, just voicemail. And I immediately hung up the phone and like celebrated my, you know, phone call success that I had, you know, actually made the call and gotten something. Um, and did you, 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 but you didn't leave a message? No, which, no. which was not a mistake. I actually don't advocate leaving messages, but uh, I've just stumbled into that. So, so, okay. So for those who have never cold called before, uh, what what did it actually feel like? Be, like before you uh, picked up the phone, because I, I I know that like that phone becomes heavy. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, the phone's heavy. Your mouth's dry, and you your know, heart yeah, your heart's so, racing. Yeah, heart's racing. All to talk to another human being. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, one thing that helps there is just to just to think about sort of what your worst case is. You know, I mean. It, someone, you know, gets disgruntled on the phone with you and says things and hangs up or someone's not interested. Um, in all the cold calls I've done, I, I can't even say that I've been, you know, turned away in, I mean, the, the worst you could say is someone was like a little bit unfriendly, but it's not like anyone yelled at me or it's, it really hasn't been that bad. It's, but I mean, it's mostly in your head. It's just that unknown, you know, monster that you create. 
Right, because even uh, you've got to remember that your your body's having this flight response for something that isn't dangerous. Right. Like like you said the worst thing that can happen is that they yell at you. They they yell at you over the phone. It's not like they're in your face, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's that is the worst thing that can happen. But knowing that does not change the psychology of picking up that phone. No, it, it really doesn't. It, it doesn't change your heart racing either. I mean, I, I can say if I give if I give cold calling a break for a while and I come back to it and I'm in a new market, I'll, I'll still have, you know, some some physiological effects of trying to get started. Um, but it, it always does get better after you get going downhill. It's kind of like writing to me that, you know, that blank page is is brutal. But once once you have something going, you're you're doing a lot better. Yeah, I went, years ago, I decided I needed to learn how to sell. So I joined a five-week uh, training program for an insurance company. So I had to go out and get my insurance license, the, the whole works, just to get through this training program because I, I knew I needed to get better at selling. And their training program was essentially, here's the phone, here's a phone book, and start calling which it wasn't a phone book, but it was just a big long list of phone numbers and names. And I would pick up that phone and I was so resistant to even touch the phone because I was going through all those issues, all those psychological issues of how my life was just about to be destroyed if I dial a phone number. <laughs> and and all these all these miseries were going to befall me. And, and it was tough. It really was uh, tough. Uh, you know, you, you sound like a complete idiot in the first few calls yeah, because your heart's just pounding. And, and so you just rush through your, your prepared speech and, and everything. Your, uh, and I had a script that I was supposed to follow. So, you know, I would like rush through that in, in like what would supposed to take like maybe 30 seconds. I would be done in like 10 <laughs> and, yeah. and no one would even know what I was talking about. And then I'd be like, and then they'd be like, no, thank you. And I'd be like, oh, great, great, thank you. And I'd hang up. And yeah, yeah so, so I went through that. But one, one of the techniques, if you're going to be doing a lot of cold calling, if you get a lot of numbers, is, you know, don't put the phone down. Right. Uh, because each time that that phone stays heavy and, and there's always a, a resistance to to dialing the number. So if you keep it in your hand and you can just get through your the calls that you're going to do. So so I'm going to I'm going to stop geeking about like the techniques of actually cold calling. But let's talk about why someone's going to cold call. And 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 I brought this up right before we hit record was that it looks like from the title of your your ebook that it's meant for startups, that it's a kind of a lean methodology. Is that correct? Yeah, I I think it's it's all kind of aligned with the lean methodology and, and a way to kind of validate ideas that you have, um, take niche ideas that you think, you know, either are new products or your first product and kind of validate if that's something you should pursue or not. Um, I, I think a lot of the ideas translate really well to sales and it's something I've done a little bit of, but it's, it's a bit of a different animal too. And it's, it's not, the book is not fully engaged on the topic of sales. Okay. As, so, so you're doing this more as like uh, trying to find out the, the customer problem, right? Right. Right. And, and I recommend this to anyone. This, this is something that e- even if you're in a 
online niche, you're trying to uh, jump into that market. Uh, Google's making it very hard to just live off of SEO from, uh, from here on out. You're going to have to be a lot better than that. And knowing what your customer wants, your, per, your prospective customer really wants, calling them up, speaking to someone on the phone, and, and, and as we're doing right now, just jumping on Skype, you know, tell people, hey, I'd love to talk to you on Skype. That, that's a cold call also. If you can get somebody on there and you can talk to them there and say, hey, what's, what's the issue that you're having the most problems with? So with, with that, what should people be looking for when they're calling up a prospective customer? Uh, definitely the first thing to do is is to make sure that your you know list the people that you're calling are actually your prospective customers. I mean you need to think pretty seriously about who you're targeting um, and if it makes sense to target those particular people if they you know if they have money, if they can buy, um, if they you know really align with the the idea that you have or um, also, I would kind of advocate even before that, that you go with more of a market first approach than an idea first approach. Um, I think it'd be best if you pick a market that you'd really like to work in and then find an idea inside of it. Uh, and that's kind of compatible with this, this cold calling approach. Which is, which is funny because all entrepreneurs, we always come up with an idea first. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, wouldn't it be so cool if, and, and then we go out trying to validate the idea as opposed to finding <laughs> yeah. out if there's, if there's a market for some possible solution. Not Maybe not your solution, the idea that you had, but we get so tied to our ideas. And, and I think that's kind of a hard thing to, for people to give up. But one, one, question that, one question that really stems from that is, well – you, you got to start somewhere. So where do you start? How do you even start with a market? You've got to, don't you have to have an idea of something before you can even get started? I, I don't actually think that you'd have to have an idea of something. I think if you look at like the interests you have and the different things that you might be connected with, like when I, when I got started, I had grown up in Southeast Texas and I had gone, you know, hunting and fishing a lot with my dad. And I knew a lot of people that either had property or, you know, leased property to hunt on. And so that's part of what drove me to, to work with people like that. Um, yeah, I was just looking at, you know, things that I could have been involved in people that I felt like I knew a little bit better than, uh, others might. So, and I jumped in, I think most people have a collection of things like that, whether it's, you know, hunting and fishing or, uh, chemistry or macrame or, uh, you know, fitness even. And I was into CrossFit for a while and that, that was something that some people wrote all kinds of different software for. And I, I think some people have had some success with that particular market. So I, I think you can go market first. I agree that most people are not going to start with a market in mind and be that, um, you know, scientific about the process, but that's probably okay. As long as, long as when you go with an idea in your head and you go to validate it, that you're open to just kind of changing it to fit whatever market you're approaching. Um, and sometimes I think people that have already done products, people that are further down that, you know, entrepreneurial journey, you know, we get prescriptive about what you should do when you start. But if you look at what all of us did, it's not what we're saying. So I, I don't <laughs> know if, you know, it's possible. Shh, to you're, not suppo you're not supposed to uh, reveal those secrets. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, we're supposed to sound like we know what we're talking about. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's kind of like when you're when you're younger and your parents tell you, you know, that it, you just, it's one of those things you have to do. It. I'm not convinced that that's true, but it's possible that that's true. Yeah, it's it's nice being able to see what has gone be- before you because, like, we after we've done something can kind of look back and give like that 2020 hindsight review of something and say, well. I probably should have done this instead of what I did do. And you can kind of help someone along, but I, I definitely agree. I think uh, success is a an individual act and everyone needs to come at it in their own direction. They, they can use uh, guidance and frameworks from other people to kind of uh, get through the treacherous parts, but they still need to, you know, uh, make that journey on their own. Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree, and I I think I think the advice and the the people that talk about these things are really useful. And uh, one of the reasons I wrote the book is because I wish I had been able to read it before I started cold calling people. Uh, <laughs> but but you know you you can't use everything, and and not every everybody's experience is going to follow a a nice neat story. Yeah, right, right, and and it doesn't. It it's never like that. And if you hear a nice neat story of success then they've cut out all the, the inter- <laughs> yeah. they, they cut out all the interesting parts right and, and the stuff that everything that went wrong during during their journey but i want to give in, in more into this market validation idea so what you hear a lot in the online uh, market is you know like the follow your passion kind of thing and then, then you also hear the, you know, just, just do what the market wants you to do. There, there's these different things. But there's something that a lot of people aren't really talking about, and that's uh, your domain knowledge. Have, having experience in a domain tends to lead to greater success. And, and, and I think that's kind of what you were saying is that, you know, look at what you're already interested in. Because that's going to be a place that you're going to have some knowledge, a place to start. Is that correct? Yeah, I, th- I think that's absolutely true. I think it's much easier to start a business in a domain that you already have some some credibility, some interest, and some knowledge in. I, I can't remember. I think it may have been Rob Walling that, that quoted someone else that said that you could... You can do you can do like a new product, or you can do a totally new market, but you can't do both. Um, and I think that's pretty good advice. Yeah, yeah. Try, trying to do a new product in a new market is is difficult unless you happen to have an immense amount of domain knowledge. Like Apple, when they went into the phone market, right? Uh, they 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 ended up creating a new type of uh, cellular market with with their iPhone by having the apps and everything like that. They created like this whole new marketplace with that. And it's changed the way uh, phones operate now. They were able to do that. Why? Because they had 20 years of experience that led up to that. And a lot of people don't look at that. They just look at, hey, I want to do something innovative. I want to do something unique. I think that's a dangerous idea because it usually leads to heartbreak. Yeah, absolutely. I I know I had some. I worked on a PhD for a while. Ended up leaving with just a master's as I, um, you know, found myself interested in other things. But uh, I remember, you know, you start to reflect on research and how research gets done, and 
even really big insights uh, are usually just incremental improvements on a whole lot of other research. Um, so that's, that's, I think, just the human experience. You know, business is going to be mostly the same way. I mean, your success is really an incremental improvement on past success and learning from past failure. So you're, you're pretty rarely going to have just these huge kind of supernovas. Um, and when they do happen, I think they should be, you know, appreciated and congratulated, but I don't know that they need to be the model. <laughs> right, right. I, I, I know there's some people out there listening that's going to say, hey, well, Robert, uh, the, all I know is the stuff that I know in my job, and I hate my job. So I don't want to do anything like that. I want to start somewhere completely new. What, what kind of a, what do you say to that person? Uh, I mean, that may be what you, you know, what you think you know, but I'm sure that those people have have hobbies, have things they read about, have things that they're engaged in outside of work. Um, I, it's pretty rare that someone's completely absorbed in work. Um, and I mean, a, a simple thing to say, if, if you're really working, you know, 80 or 90 hour weeks and you've got no time for anything but eating and sleeping, um, you probably don't have time to start something on the side anyway. Um, and your first step toward doing so may be to, to dialing work back a little bit and rediscovering some of those things that you were interested in in the years past where you weren't working quite so much. Yeah, def- definitely. I think people need to need to take a breather from uh, from everything that they're they're doing because I think a lot of people try to make this uh, escape. They, they're so focused on an escape from where they're currently at that they don't do any planning. Right. And and I, I've talked about on, on my show in the past how I, I, I look as if I just jump into something completely new. But when I do it, I, I do a, a condensed amount of planning. I do it really fast. I, I do my research. I do, uh, do all my planning in a, in a very condensed period. So it looks like to the outside world, I've made a rash decision. Like I just jumped into something that I had no clue about. And to a certain extent, that's always the case. You, you only know uh, what you know from the outside. Until you get into it, you realize you don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a common experience, I think. Yeah, so I, I definitely think people should de- uh, to look into, into the planning. So, and so that's where I think this, this cold calling idea really is, is helpful. So let's let's go into maybe some techniques. Like, can you talk about how someone can go about doing this? Like, who should who should they call first, and what should they say? Right. So the the first decision is a little bit. I mean, we kind of discussed that most people are going to come out this with an idea in mind. Um, so. Without that assumption, the approach doesn't change that much, but we'll just go with the assumption that you have something in mind that you want to validate with a market. Um, so you really want to write down your idea and look at it and maybe talk to you know your friends and family that you have about this idea. Um, you know, it, just briefly, nothing huge. Um, and think and just brainstorm, like who would buy this? Do they have money? Do they have time? How does this save them money or give them time? Um, like why should they care about this and then and then pick the a really narrow slice of of those people so I had a product idea uh, maybe a year ago or so for um, some people in civil engineering 
Um, and I have some both friends uh, and and family members that have been in, in that business before. So I knew a little bit about it. It wasn't just blind. Um, and I was going to do something in, in project management for them. And I had a few people that I had interviews with and, and things sounded like they were going really well. But the way that I targeted them was to find online, to find firms that were local that I knew I could meet with face to face after I got them on the phone. Um, and I wanted them to be really similar to the first person who brought this up to me um, that had this you know, exact problem that he talked about. And I was just curious if other people had the same problem. And so that was what I was trying to validate is I wanted to talk to you know, 20 or 30 other companies that were similar in size, similar in what they did, what kind of job they did, because civil engineering firms can do a variety of different things um, and, and see if, if that problem existed across all of them. So that, that's a little bit of an example. I mean, you, you really want to isolate one vertical slice of the market and, and find out, you know, does this exist across these people? And keep your questioning open, though, so that you can also find out, well, if not, what what is the, you know, overarching set of problems that these companies have. And so, okay, so when, when you go into uh, finding out what their problems are, most people, when, when you ask them, it's whatever's on their mind at the moment uh, is, is, yep. the, is the big problem. So how do you find the actual real problems that they focus on in a day? That's a good question. Uh, usually the best approaches for me are to just keep your, keep your questions really open-ended. Um, I learned doing some some research in the academic world that when you know, when you do survey design or when you try to elicit information from people, you just need to keep your questions really open. You want to ask, you know, things that are more like if you were taking a test, more like a short answer or an essay question, and less like true, false, or multiple choice. Um, if you give people the opportunity to give you shorter answers, they they almost always will. And if you ask people questions that are leading questions like, would you like to buy a product that does X for you? Um, the answer is almost universally yes, because there's no cost to them for saying yes. <laughs> yeah, what, what do you mean? People will mislead you and lie to you? <laughs> it's, not, it's not malicious. They mostly just want to be liked, right? I mean, right. It's, it's just how, I mean, it's why, it's why guys at the end of a date say, I'll call you, even if they don't mean to. I mean, it's, it's less awkward than saying, yeah, that doesn't sound interesting at all. <laughs> and, and that's probably what they are thinking. And definitely uh, having more probing questions, uh, like being able to say, okay, so, so that, that, that's interesting. So how, how does that work in your day? That would be like an, an example of an open-ended question where they can't answer with a yes or no. Right. Yeah. Usually, I like to start with something something really big, like what are your you know three to five biggest problems in your business, and and like you said, a lot of times that'll get you what they're worried about this week or this month, um, especially if you're speaking with like the owner of the business. Um, but usually, you'll get some things that you can drill down into. They'll say something about you know hiring quality people, which is almost always in everybody's top three. Um, or they'll, you know, they'll mention like, oh, we got this accounting thing, well, you know, whatever's just on their mind. And then you can just drill down and like, okay, well, you know, what is the problem there? And how do you guys handle this? And, you know, what products do you pay for to do these things? And how much do you pay? And, you know, where are they? And you can go and research them. And, um, 
you can really get a lot of deep information from a fairly short interview if, if you take that approach. Okay, okay so in, in what you're saying, what, I, what I'm hearing a lot here is on a, a business-to-business world uh, where, you're, where you're talking about that. Yep. For me, I, I love business-to-business stuff. It's so much easier to do uh, because there's real concrete issues that can be solved. I try to lead people towards doing business-to-business if they're going to get into starting their own company. Right. Uh, but not everybody wants to do that. And some people really enjoy working with consumers. I've got a lot of listeners who they, they work with consumers. Their products are based on consumers. Is this even possible with consumers? Can we do this with them? I, I, think, it, I think it's possible to elicit the kind of information we're talking about. Um, I don't know if cold calling a small sample um, is more than just a way to get started. I think there's going to be too much of a temptation for those types of products for people to kind of put you on about how exciting it is um, or try to anticipate, you know, what kind of answers you're looking for. Um, I, th- I think, and I don't have a lot of experience doing these interviews with custom- customers in the consumer space, um, but I think you're just going to run into... Um, more people that are anticipating what direction you're going. I think it gets more difficult to talk about, you know, what are the, you know, problems in your day um, when someone's just talking about, you know, playing a game on an iPad or uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, how I, I can get to my seat faster whenever I get to the stadium. You know, I don't, uh, it's, it's very difficult and very abstract to, to get someone to complain about some of those things. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree because there's uh, this saying that people don't know what they want. And, right. and uh, consumer products are notorious for that because there's so many things that compete for a consumer's attention. Even if your product solves a particular pro- problem for them, they may not even really be interested in solving that problem yet because they've got so many other things competing for their attention. And, right. and I, I think that's why I, I'm attracted to the business-to-business world because their attention is all focused on a very limited spectrum. Yeah, and I think some of the, like, some of the consumer space things that I'm looking around on my desk trying to think of, you know, what, what am I? What have I been excited about? And and one of the small things is I, I have a MacBook Air, um, and and even smaller than that, um, when I got it, I inherited the the gestures right. And the the biggest gesture that I use on a daily basis is just scrolling in a window with a two finger scroll, which is a gesture on the touchpad, right. And the, and that kind of came about as a, an innovation for Apple from them having so many touch interfaces like the the iPad and the iPhone. Uh, and that probably saves me like more time or less, you know, mental anguish than any other single thing I can think of on my desk. And I may have even paid like a few hundred dollars for it had I known how it would feel about it. But if you brought it up to me as a problem or asked me if I would pay for it, you know, in a vacuum before I knew what I know now, I would probably blow it off. No, I mean, a mouse works fine. What, what do I need that for? Right, because you couldn't uh, conceive of it. Right. Yeah, you wouldn't, you really don't know how it's going to affect your life. And yeah, I don't even think about the way I 
I use my trackpad because I'm I I also use a MacBook Air. Love the thing. So then if I I move over to one of the PCs that's in the house, uh, like one of the laptops, and I go to hit, I hit the <laughs> pad there, and I'm like, oh, I hate this thing. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm like using my up uh, the up and down arrows to scroll yep. because it's a it's just <laughs> annoying to touch the the pad on on those others. Yeah, and I I wasn't unhappy. Right. With the PC laptop that I have in the house, yeah, and but now I am. I'm I'm sure. c- completely disgruntled about it <laughs> because because there's so many easier ways of doing certain things that I didn't even know existed before. Right. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's hard to get someone to pay for scrolling, but you can totally change the way someone feels about it. So it's 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 a it's a tough nut to crack. Right, right. So, so I'm gonna. I, I will say that there is there is value in asking your market, even if it's consumer market, as to the issues that they have, because this has been proven by lots of people in the consumer market world, yep. where you you try to find out what the problems are. But again, you don't know exactly what it is that they would want. Watching their behavior is actually better in the consumer market, because right. if people are struggling with their scrolling. Then the idea of, hey, you know, if we had an easier way to do scrolling, wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> right. Uh, uh, they don't know that that's their problem. Sure, yeah. It's, it's, I, it's, so when I worked on that PhD, a lot of it was around interfaces and interface designs. So uh, a lot of how you do research around improving interfaces or designing software to improve a workflow is basically just sitting with someone at their day job watching, observing, writing it down, and and trying to figure out what the problems are from an outside observer's point of view, but, you know, sitting alongside them for their day-to-day. And I think that's, you know, kind of the approach that you may need to take. I mean, maybe you can start out cold calling, you know, 20 or 30 people and get an idea of if this, if, if what you're interested in doing is is interesting on its face to any of these people and if so you know take it a little deeper maybe follow them around um, maybe get some more statistically significant information by running a survey and seeing if you can you know use any number of ways to generate you know a lot of traffic um, paid or not to get you know maybe a thousand people to do the survey such that you have just a large amount of data that might tell you a little bit more. Um, but I, I do think that asking them and paying attention to what they're doing and, and getting some data uh, is the way to go there. Right. And then, then the other real data that you need to have is will they buy it? Yep. That, that, that's, that, that happens in business to business or business to consumer. People will tell you anything. <laughs> now it's you that telling telling me that someone will mislead me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, they they will they will tell you anything right up until you ask them for the the payment. That's when you know whether or not you've you've tapped into their their problems, whether you've tapped into their emotional needs. Have you done that yet? You know, have you uh, addressed the their logical reasons for buying? Have you addressed their emotional needs for buying? Does your product actually do as it needs to do? And the only way to find that out is if they actually buy your product. Right. Yeah. And I think in a, I mean, I think the general theme of what we've said about business versus consumers that in a business context, people make those decisions, 
you know, based on numbers and based on things like, can this save me time or can it make me money? Um, and in a consumer context, a lot of times they make, they make these decisions based a lot more on, is this thing cool? You know, does it make, does it make me feel better about my day? Does it, uh, kind of like Seth Godin talks about, like you're, you're buying an experience. Like, is this experience sound good? Is this thing shiny? So it's, it's a little bit harder to design and package shiny, but if you can do it, you can be really successful. Right, right. You definitely need to uh, be able to f- figure out the cool factor in in consumer markets, and and even some like underlying psychology. Uh, there's a bunch of members that I have and listeners that are in the. Uh, I would say the 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 bigger o- overarching industry is the home decor market and like home activities and the especially the people who are creating a craft like the Martha Stewart kind of thing and people don't like to think about this bit of psychology which is people want to show off which isn't a uh, a thing a personality trait we like to discuss about ourselves <laughs> as, as right. human beings sure. you know uh, why do people rush out and get the iPhone 4s when it looks exactly like the iPhone 4 but they can say well it's got an s on it look you know i i've got the newest one i'm able to show off to my friends in this world where people are in in something that is inside the home it's all about it's all about showing off and feeling good about it. And a lot of people don't want to think about that side of it. And you, and you won't ever get that from asking questions. You can only get that from observing their behavior. Right. Yeah. I, I can admit something uh, along those lines about myself. I know when I was, when I was a a younger teenager, I maybe about high school age, I like to wear t-shirts that, um, you know, we're usually kind of geeky and had various, you know, think geek kind of slogans on them that very few people would get, especially in the course of my normal day. Um, and, and if you asked me about it, I would have told you that I was just really into whatever that thing was. And then I thought it was cool. So I had a t-shirt, but I think a lot of the truth was that I was just showing off that I knew stuff that these other people didn't know, which, you know, was not in any way really that impressive. It was just different. Um, but I think that's the psychology. I think it's definitely there in, in a lot of our purchasing decisions. Right. And you have to be able to tap into that. And I, I think that's where like a minimum viable product helps you find out what that psychological behavior is, because you're not going to get it right the first time. No, uh, I, I don't know anyone who has ever just gotten it right, or like right out of the gate. And there's always iterations. So let's let's talk about what should people do like right now uh, to go out and get more data for for this their startup business okay uh yeah i mean i think there's lots of different ways to build a list um some of the simplest ones are just to get on google and you know do a local search for for people in the market that you're in especially if it's businesses they're going to be listed you can find some phone numbers um and a good tip if you want to get past the gatekeepers and talk to the people at the top right away um, is to call late afternoons or on friday afternoons because a lot of times your gatekeepers you know your your assistants are not going to be around come five o'clock but if if you're the guy that's building the business you're probably still there Uh, (laughs) So, so that's, that's one way to get started, um, and get some people on the phone. 
Um, and yeah, I think we, we just talked about one of my big tips in the book uh, that shows up kind of as thematically is that something we just talked about in the consumer space is that people kind of like to show off. People want to feel important. So whenever you engage people in these conversations, make them feel important. Make the conversation about them. If you find yourself talking about yourself, um, think of that as a mistake. Uh, the more you can get them talking and opening up, the more data you're getting, um, and the more you make them feel like you know you care and you're interested. Um, well, so, you should care. Yeah, you, you absolutely <laughs> should. It's uh, easier to care uh, to look like you care if you actually do care. <laughs> sure. Yeah, but I I think with anything, even with you know caring a lot. Um, it helps just to practice. I mean, you're, you're always going to want to talk about yourself just because that's like everyone's natural inclination. Um, so the more you can, you know, push that down and, and focus on the other person, I think the, the more successful the conversations tend to be. Um, and I, I have several blog posts in a few different places that give more specific scripts and, and approaches. Uh, one on my own blog on whitetailsoftware.com uh, and one specifically on Jason Cohen's blog at A Smart Bear. Very cool. Very cool. And and uh, and I'll link those up in the show notes so that people can go directly to them. Uh, all right. Uh, so uh, where else can people get a hold of you, Robert? Uh, on the blog. Uh, works great. There's a, both a form and I, I think I just list my address uh, straight out there. Um, and then... I thought, yeah, I think the same page is linked from the, the book site. So uh, it's, it's pretty easy to get in touch with me. Um, and if, if you get a copy of the book, you might even get my phone number. I don't remember for sure, but you can definitely get in touch. All right. Uh, so l- let's, give a, let's give a plug. What's the, what's the name of the ebook? Uh, the ebook is Cold Calling Early Customers with the subtitle of Find Your First Customer. Uh, and it's uh, www.coldcallingbook.net. Very cool. Very cool. So for everyone listening, hopefully you've gotten a lot of value out of this. Hopefully you're not too scared of cold calling anymore that you see the value in it and how it can help you build a brand new business or even help you build a brand new product. So until the next time, enjoy your foolish adventure. You've just listened to the Foolish Adventure Show with Tim Conley. To get more straight talk about making money online and building a successful internet business, go to foolishadventure.com. There, you can opt into the Freedom File newsletter. You'll also get access to the Foolish Guide to Launching Products video training module, over an hour and 20 minutes of business building knowledge that can generate tens of thousands of dollars for your new product. Enjoy your foolish adventure.